Welcome, everybody, to another Angry Wargamer podcast. I am your host, Jason the Angry Wargamer, and Drew and Lando are here again. I mean, you keep saying that, but, like, we've never left. I know, right? <laughs> and I haven't skipped a fucking podcast in two weeks. I don't know how to skip anyways, because I'm fat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you ducked out last week. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Dunking is not the same as skipping, bitch. Or sleeping. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not falling down the stairs, so you can't laugh at me. I took a nap. <laughs> nice. <laughs> anyway. anyway. So apparently a lot of you guys liked our um, podcast last week as much as we shit talked and then went into the review. And I can't tell... If you guys like the review or the shit talk. So here we are again. <laughs> we, will, we will serenade you with a delightful balance of both. Yeah, right. So like we promised, uh, we're eventually going to go over the state of play that happened on July 8th um, from PlayStation. And yeah, we got other shit to talk about. What do you guys been up to this week? Um... <laughs> Buying expensive ass cards because I'm trying to trying to uh, fine tune a deck so I have at least one really powerful EDH deck that I can take to um, games. Just if there's higher level gaming to go on, because a lot of my my decks are budget, so I have like one or two that are more, much more fine tuned to a higher level. So the one I'm doing is an Eldrazi deck. So I got a Cavern of Souls, which was 65 shipped. Yeah, you told me that. That's not bad. Especially, I looked up the price afterwards, and I was like, "Ooh." <laughs> well, it, it gives me. It, I'm I'm of the rationale that unless a card is exorbitantly expensive, like a lot of the legends from the original Legends set that you'd like to build around, like Angus McKenzie or Hazazon Tamar or uh, a Dune Oakenshield, those are like in the two to three hundred dollar category right now. And I'd rather just get the proxy and build the deck and tell people who bother who are bothered by it to go fuck themselves. <laughs> um, but when it comes to a lot of the other cards, like I've been wanting a Cavern of Souls because I have a bunch of uh, proxy versions. And that way I don't feel as bad by having the proxy versions in other decks. Like I have an elf deck that I could throw it in there because it's it's a good tribal card. And with uh, the Eldrazi, they're like 90, 98.88% all Eldrazi. So making them uncounterable is definitely a positive. Fantastic. Did you pick up any D&D stuff? Like Oh, oh, the the Forgotten Realm shit. Fuck yeah. No. Okay, yeah, I didn't, I didn't either. Right, um, <laughs> my LGS was doing was supposed to be doing the pre uh, pre release this weekend. Um, I don't give two shits and a fuck, dude. I haven't even purchased my usual commons and uncommon set that I usually do just before a, a set releases because I just don't fucking care. Like I'm literally expecting this set to be worth pennies on the dollar the moment it fucking hit the moment it fucking hits official release. Yeah. And I'm probably gonna buy every single legend with very little difficulty the week following its release without even really fucking trying. Because unless something is meta breaking, which it can't be because they've already banned a pre-banned a fucking card and hasn't yet the set isn't even dropped yet. That's because it released on arena first. So they yeah. didn't have Book of Exalted Deeds is already pre-banned because apparently there's not enough land removal and people end up using it with Nameless Haven, turn Nameless Haven into a creature, 
the, the creature is all creature types, so it's technically an angel. They use the Book of Exalted Deeds, put the divinity token on it to make it so they can't lose the game, and then people spend the rest of their time basically f- f- twiddling their thumbs until they lose because they deck themselves. <laughs> so yeah, that got pre-banned because that's just way too damn powerful. Not going to stop anything from the Eternal formats because, boy howdy, those are already messed up. Plus, they we get to talk about the ban that they just did. Or did we already talk? We already talked about the Hull Breacher ban, didn't we? No, we didn't. We didn't. Yes, Hull Breacher is banned in Commander. A card that was specifically printed in a Commander Legends set has been banned in Commander because it... In Casual Commander because it is too powerful. <laughs> Yeah, with other cards still in this in the set or still similar to it, but like they have stipulations apparently. So uh, Notion Thief is um one, one extra one, color. Yeah. And um the one play the one blue planeswalker from Narset from uh, War of the Spark is an extra two extra mana or one extra mana. So and it's two color pips. So that was their rationale for not banning those along with it, even though the entirety of the, the MTG community is extremely sore ass about it. And I don't blame them because they did leave those other cards in. Not going to complain because Notion Thief isn't a pre-con deck back from Zendikar and is now increasing in price. It's currently sitting at like eight bucks right now. Um, with the day Hullbreacher was banned, it dropped to like a dollar. Yeah, Hull Breachers were shit, but Notion Thief is on the, on the rise. No, no, no. Notion Thief dropped to a dollar when Hull Breacher got banned. It might have right, climbed it back up. Back, it bounced back up. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Most of the people that uh, picked up Hull Breacher, though, paid the secondary market price, and that's why they got shitty with the, the banning. Well, I think they just got shitty with the banning because it's... A lot of people's complaining counter complaint is if you have that kind of problem, why aren't you running spot removal in your in your commander deck? But if you look at the way commander is played, most people don't run that much spot removal, if any at all, and they end up running a lot of AOE removal in the form of wraths or or inferno type uh, mm-hmm. damage spells that deal damage to everything on the board. So, yeah, you can get rid of Notion Thief, but you're likely wiping the board in the process. So no one's really playing spot removal unless it's multi-purpose, like Vindicate, uh, Utter, Utter, uh, Utter End, um, Anguish Unmaking, stuff like that, where it's destroy a permanent. So it doesn't matter if you target the creature because you can also target something else. When you have to have specific creature removal in Commander, it becomes kind of un- How about you don't do that? anyway (laughs) notion thief i saw i just looked up the price it's like three bucks right now so which version the one in the the pre-con deck i think is like seven right now m25 the highest price is like four bucks for notion no maybe it's not back down then cool that's fine by me because that pre-con deck is actually pretty good but yeah, that's all the magic news I got. Um, anything on the Yu-Gi-Oh front, for Orlando? No. Yay! <laughs> he was straight up, nah. <laughs> well, okay, I've watched some channels that have been doing, like, uh, the opening of, like, cer- certain uh, 
can't remember what booster set that they were uh, doing. Probably but Lightning Overdrive. Only, I don't think that was it. It was the one that had like these ancient uh, legacy support for like uh, the King's Knight, the Jack's Knight, and the Queen's Knight. Oh yeah, I saw that. That actually looked kind of interesting. Uh, kind of. They also apparently got some reprints of the Egyptian gods for whatever reason, even though we already just got support from them. Harpy's like, Feather Duster is in both. Parts, but all you're doing is, you know, re-releasing the Egyptian god cards. Again! And putting them under secret rare values. It's like... <laughs> like, well, the fuck do I care? We already had these! <laughs> The good news about it is, though, is Harpy's Feather Duster and Mirror Force are in both of those starter decks. So, I mean, I guess most people weren't very happy about that because Mirror Force is not all that great as it used to be. And the same with Harpy's Feather Duster. That's why it got unbanned. Sure, it's restricted, but there are better cards than Harpy's Feather Duster now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Regeki still the gold standard? It's technically on the limited set, but it's still not as good as even Lightning Storm. Even, and I kind of that dumb because uh, Regeki is an enemy wipe, but not Lightning Storm because Lightning Storm only destroys face up attack position monsters. But because the game is now to a point where. Everybody plays their monsters in attack position. It kind of makes everything moot. Like the restriction doesn't mean anything. Uh, yeah. Like, is it anyway? Like, don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> At least Lightning Storm gives you the option: do you want to destroy all your opponent's face-up attack position monsters, or destroy all their set face their set uh face-down spell or trap cards. You get the option. Whereas Harpy's Feather Duster and uh, Raigeki only does one of the two. Better, but one of the other. But only one of them. Mm. And from what I know about uh, about competitive Yu-Gi-Oh, they, they love their versatility. The more cards There's you a... do, the better. There's a, a new podcast out there. I can't remember it. It's a Yu-Gi-Oh podcast. And one of the people on it is from TikTok. Three, there's actually three people. Uh, I can't remember what the fuck it's called. But they're all competitive Yu-Gi-Oh players. And all they do is talk about Yu-Gi-Oh all the time. So <laughs> I guess when I figure out that, <laughs> I'll let you know who it is. <laughs> Okay, it's probably Team APS because those guys are like all over the place. No, it's They're a new one. Team a Team APS hasn't really been putting out that much content lately. But um, here, let me see if I can figure it out uh, right now. Oh, he's live. They're probably recording. What is your name? Kog. Never heard of him. Yeah, they're on YouTube. King of Games cast is what they they call themselves. Oh, pretentious pricks, aren't they? Not just going. <laughs> yeah, they're all they're all Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, I guess they're focusing on YouTube. 
Fair enough. Go where the money is. Or isn't. Yeah, I don't uh, know. Do they have... I don't think they even have a following. But I mean, yeah, um, I I haven't been keeping up much with Yu-Gi-Oh. I mean, I'm, I'm... How about the video games? How about you and Jason announced the fact that you've uh, pre-ordered the OL, OLEDs? Yes. We yeah. did. After you guys shit on me about it, it's like, I'm not getting one. And then I was like, oh, I am. <laughs> they have 26 subscribers. If you must know, it's not for me. So shut the up. The fuck? Oh, God. That is terrible. It's not for me, so shut up. I got a, no, I, no. I pre-ordered. That's the reason why I didn't order it. I, I, I'm not ordering one for myself anyway. Uh, it's, uh, it's not for me. <laughs> I was just having fun with the uh, with the potential idea of uh, of that thing gaining in value. Like, oh, you don't fucking say. Nah, dude, you could. So remember how we were talking about a shortage of switches that was going to happen? It's now happening. No, it's not. There's I found I went to Target today. There were like six of them in the case. Regular switch or switch light? Regular switches. Red and blue Regular switches. Well, yeah, lights are the popular ones right now. That's perplexing. Uh, right? And that's about to go down, too, because guess what? When I ordered the Switch OLED, the, what's it called? OLED? OLED. Whatever. They call it the OLED. Anyway, it was the last one in the state. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. I got a white one. So I pre-ordered a white one. And I so right now... Um, the day I pre-ordered them, they were people, Walmart and Best Buy were already trying to sell them in bundles. If you go to the site and look for the OLEDs now, there are like four fifty five hundred almost on their sites. So that means the scalpers already got to them and fuck them because I already got mine. <laughs> Fair enough. That's I, the went, spirit. I went in. I went in on Friday uh, during lunch, and I go in. And they only had the red and blue, and I'm like, you guys don't have the white, the the white ones. And then go, this is literally the last one in the state. Yeah, well, here's my fifty dollars. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. okay, I'll take it. I'm a good one. And here, here's me, here's me sounding like a racist when I got the white one. I, like, <laughs> I literally go, I'm like, I'm like, I I needed to have the white one. I mean, it just looks slick, and then I can match it in with my PS5. Like the white one just looks so much better than the other one. And I was like, dude, I just keep. Wait, 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 wait. hold on, hold on, hold on. So you have a you're getting a Switch OLED that's white. Yeah. With a PS5, and I'm assuming you have. Wait, when the fuck did you get a PS5? I didn't, but it's gonna match when I get one. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Man, man, you are a racist. I'm joking. I'm not getting an Xbox. I might get an Xbox. I haven't decided yet. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. White too, you prick. They don't make them in white. I, you know what I'm gonna. You know what I'm gonna get though. The funniest thing is like I'm gonna get that Xbox mini fridge. <laughs> we already said it. The, the by the time KFC has their motherfucking console, that shit better be out. Agreed. Is it out yet? Oh my god, it is out. No. The Xbox fridge? I wouldn't know. No, 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 no. It's the it's just the Xbox console. That's what I thought. Yeah. 
But imagine how much if is it was. We'd be looking like, uh, Colonel, where's my fucking chicken box? <laughs> it might be priced somewhere between two to three hundred dollars. Dude, I'm getting one. I'm getting you the mini fridge. <laughs> Speaking of random things that just came out of the fucking ether, how about that new uh, fucking, what is it called, Steam Deck? Dude, okay, so everyone's saying that the Steam Deck is going to shut down the uh, the Switch. It's not happening. If anything, Nintendo's going to go after them because it looks way, way too close to a Switch. And the only reason I think they can get away with it is because they'd be like, well, our screen's bigger and uh, our Joy-Cons don't come off. We don't have Joy-Cons. Well, they better not call them Joy-Cons to begin with. But they yeah. already have the Switch Lite, which does exactly the same fucking thing. Right, but the, the internals of it are like a Joy-Con, which gives it the motion control and stuff. So I don't know how the Steam Deck is built, but I, I guarantee Nintendo's looking into them. I guarantee it. I also heard apparently there's going to be a new Half-Life sort of game that's coming out, too. And all I'm saying is, you know they're going to ask for it again. They're going to ask. They're going to ask old game. Where is Half-Life 3, damn it? Oh, my God. Well, but you don't... Wait, hold on. on. You know what, though? Uh, My friend made this... uh, He made this comment, and I can't believe they didn't go for it. Why did they call it the Steam Deck? Why couldn't they just call it the Game Boy? They had to call it the Steam Deck because it's Steam. (laughs) I don't give a shit. He could have easily bought it. It could have been a play on the Game Boy that was fucking genius, and they'll never take it. (laughs) I don't think it'll work anyway. (laughs) Not to re-rail, not derail this conversation, but... Um, a couple of friends have already pre-ordered the the Steam the the Steam Deck. I'm intrigued because it's essentially a gaming PC portably. It even has an OS on it, and you can put a new OS on it if you want to. And the specs for it at even the lowest setting aren't too terrible. Now I have a big ass Steam library, and most of those games will probably play on that fucking thing. <laughs> So, I mean, the value's there, even at the lowest, which I think is, what, like 500 gigs with a fucking metric shit ton of RAM and all sorts of other big computer words that I don't fucking care about. It'd be nice to just have that. And it also, I think it even comes with its own dock, because why not just shit right in Nintendo's goddamn cereal? (laughs) And you could basically run it like a fucking computer if you want to, as long as you have the keyboard and mouse. Yeah, you know what this replaces, though? This replaces their controller. They, they had a controller that was like their... um, Like, you could play anything with their controller type thing. It was like, it's like its own system. And this is just moving to the, to a handheld version of it. That's what it is. There oh, were... the, uh, the, Steam, the Steam box. The Steam box, the problem with that was is that the, price, the prices for it were so fucking variable that people weren't weren't even sure which fucking version of the Steam box they were supposed to purchase to get the fucking <laughs> features that they wanted. Jesus. To be fair, that's Valve's fault for muddying it up as much as possible just so that people would get fucking frustrated enough to just buy the most expensive version. Yeah, which is 5 grand and I'm not spending 5 grand on a fucking streaming box. They can eat my they can eat my fucking right cheek on that one. Yeah, this one's a little bit uh, more reasonably priced. I doubt you're going to be able to play games like Cyberpunk or um, 
any of the like graphic intense games on it, but you should be all right. Well, supposedly from what I'm hearing from to tie it back in MTG, supposedly arenas being going to end up being launched on uh, major platforms eventually. When that occurs, I'm not 100% sure, but like the Switch is supposed to eventually get it and Xbox and all those other fucking platforms, they're all supposed to get uh, MTG Arena, which would be kind of cool because then it might compel me to actually play it and then put it down immediately and delete it. <laughs> it's already it's already um, on Epic Games. Like, that's the only way to download it. You have to go through the Epic Games portal. Oh, then it's a good thing I won't get it then. See, saved you some trouble. Yeah, I ended up yeah. getting it. I ended up getting it for um, my laptop, but I don't ever play on my laptop. I mostly play on iOS or my phone. So like iPad or my phone. Nice. But yeah, I'm uh, it, I'm actually intrigued on this. And if I could have ordered pre-ordered it from GameStop, I fucking might just because it's not coming out until uh, fourth quarter. So I can probably put the 300 down to get it. And guess what? I have a portable gaming computer that I never have to fucking think about. This is very true. <laughs> and, I can just, and then I just find a, uh, a relatively inexpensive OS to throw on it as a backup one. Hell, maybe I, maybe I go full on elite hacks or, and I throw on uh Ubuntu or something onto it. I mean, they'll let you like, that's the thing. Steam has been really good about do whatever you want with it as long as you play the games through your steam <laughs> which i've got shit tons of games that i can play on i have a bunch of indie titles that i just haven't even looked at because i'm just not willing to boot up my computer to do it but hey if i can take my computer with me and go wherever the fuck i want with it i'm gonna do that <laughs> oh yeah hands down yeah um, and even if I couldn't get a hold of it at this point, I mean, if, I mean, if it's only through Steam, through Steam's uh, um, business page, fine. But if like GameStop has access to it, I might just fucking look into putting, you know, twenty or thirty down on it now and just pay it off little by little. Oh, speaking of GameStop, fucking. Um, first off, I got the Sky. I got the uh, Zelda Joy Cons, um, but. Skyward Sword, they were giving a 48 hour period, like trial period, and you got full price back if you returned it, even if it was open. That's not bad. That is the dumbest thing they could have ever done. You know how many people dislike Skyward Sword already? Like, I'm keeping mine. So even if I hate the game, I'm still keeping mine because that's just how I am. I'll fucking suffer through the controls. But there's going to be a lot of people that don't like that game and they're just going to go right back and return it and get full price back on it. If it happens, it happens. You, you can't put your money where your mouth is and not expect people to fucking take it. And that's, oh, that's something true. that GameStop's just going to have to deal with. And again, it, that's assuming that people aren't going to enjoy the game. Like I'm hearing about people who are, who are streaming uh, skyward sword all over the place. A couple of uh, Twitch streamers that I know are doing it. So clearly there's in, there's hype for it, especially because they got rid of the motion controls with regards to the the way the sword functions. Which... Well, I mean, you're still using like the controller stick to dictate the sword's direction. They're using shit. the shoulder buttons. The shoulder buttons will dictate how your sword is held, and then you swing using the the attack button. If you say so. 
I'm just saying they found a workaround for people who didn't enjoy it. The funny thing is, is huh. there are a lot of people who did like Skyward Sword. So good what, on you. What you I think is it. driving it, though, is a lot of people that didn't get it because a lot of like a lot of people didn't have a Wii and the people that did have a Wii were not using it for that kind of gaming. Well, yeah, because the Wii Motion Plus wasn't really garnered towards casual gamers. It was garnered towards the pro gamers who didn't give a shit about it in the begin with. Right. We talked about it. The first time the Wii Motion Plus was being used was on a casual game. Which one? Oh, it was that uh, Sports 2, right? Wii, yeah. Wii, Wii Resort 2. Yeah. Yeah, yeah fair enough. You're right. Remember, but they released that, uh, what was it? Red. De- it wasn't Red Dead Redemption. What was it? Um, Red Steel. Red, Red Steel. Steel. And that was fucking horrendous. <laughs> so that- with... The first one wasn't used with the Wii Motion Plus. Though. I think the second one was. Right. And even the second one was still glitchy as shit. So, like, a lot of people were burned by Red Steel. So when you had a game like Skyward Sword come out and they're like, you have to use the motion controls. I think a lot of people at that point were like, nah, fuck this. <laughs> well, for me personally, to be fair, when I first tried Skyward Sword, I was fucking steaming because I could not get past the red, the loft wing race. And that's literally at the very beginning of the game. Why couldn't you get past it? For whatever reason, the motion controls was not fucking working with me at all. Oh, uh, it wasn't cooperating. Fair yeah. enough. Because the bird would always head towards the, uh, head towards the earth. And no matter what I did, it would not go up. Oof. And mm. I was struggling with it for over two hours before I gave up for the whole day. I'm done with this shit. Yeah, I don't blame <laughs> you. Maybe, maybe the newer version might be a little easier for you. I mean, I'm still trying. I mean, I, I, I finally got past it, and I'm trying. I'm at the, I'm at the sealed grounds. <laughs> if that, if that means anything. Couldn't tell you. I haven't played it. Did you if get the new one? The library. I never played it. What? Did Lando? Did you get the new one? No. Oh, you're still talking. You're talking about the old. I game. still had the original version on the Wii, and the gotcha. reason why I didn't get it was because I heard about the the uh, the improvements to the uh, to the controls weren't substantial enough to warrant the purchase. Gotcha. Yeah, I, like I don't know. I'm gonna try playing the game on with the motion controls, or like with the Joy Cons, because the Joy Cons are by far better than what the Wii remotes were. But I can't argue with that. Huh? And I can't argue with that. Yeah, but I think I'm more than likely gonna play it in handheld. Which is fair. So I don't know. We'll see. I haven't loaded I've been I started um Monster Hunter Stories 2 and I started I'm not really started. I'm like yeah I guess I'm started. I just got outside of the um prison in dragon quest and the newest dragon quest so i'm kind of like bouncing back and forth between both games it's a lot of plates to be spinning usually with rpgs i only focus down one because monster hunters to get to get through it yeah but monster hunter stories is weird so it's about like finding monster it's it's basically monster hunter with like an actual story with this similar grinding. So I don't know how long I'm going to play Monster Hunter stories. 
but um, I got to go back to Dragon Quest, and I also have to go back to Star Ocean. But the good thing with Dragon Quest is, is every time you save the game and leave, it, when you log in, it tells you where you are in the story. It says, this is what happened so far, and it like gives you like a read-through of what you've done. I haven't seen that feature since Pokemon Fireware that needs to bring back in 2005. That's what I'm saying, but that's what RPGs need. You need that feature because of people like me and Drew who put the fucking game down, try to come back in a month and don't know where the fuck we are. <laughs> yeah, it's like losing your losing your place in a book and trying to find out what chapter you left off on. It's the same scenario. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. The feature's nice. I've been enjoying it. I've been playing it like every other day ish. I didn't play any of it today, but um, the game's fun. Like, like it's got different techniques to it and you can. I figured out a way you can full control both members, so it, it'll just jump to the next person in line after you've acted. So like when your turns up, like right now, I only have two party members, but when one person's gone, and then the next person's up, it'll flip to the next person. And it's weird because it makes you it allows you to run around. And I haven't found anything where I need to move the character like at all. I'm wondering if there's like an AOE, like maybe some like hazard stuff like that, that I have to work through later on. But as of right now, in the beginning of the game, there's like there's no reason to move the characters, even though you can. So, yeah, OK, I mean, I guess maybe some of them get like a you can run around behind them, but every time I've moved it, like everything starts facing you anyway. <laughs> so it's not like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> it's like a free motion, like turn based, like combat. It's weird, but I'm still enjoying it. So it is what it is. Hey, man, happy for hey man that's all that matters. Yeah. It's your money. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta enjoy your investments. Exactly. Oh, I'm selling a smothering tide for $75. Gross. Anyway. Um, regular foil. Foil. Yeah, that makes sense. Still gross. <laughs> All right. Do we yeah. want to get into the state of the state of play? <laughs> or I don't know. What else? I forgot the other fucking topics. I'm so fucking out of it right now. <laughs> well, do we want to start with the Nickelodeon All Stars? Yeah, we can yeah, do that. Yeah, folks. Right. For whatever reason, Nickelodeon was inspired by the fact that Super Smash Brothers has existed for the past 30 years. You can hear those air quotes from here. They inspired. <laughs> they decided, I think it was in their Choice Awards or whatever, that they decided, let's go ahead and create, announce a party fighter of our own characters. That's right. Want to watch SpongeBob beat the ever-loving shit out of Korra <laughs> from Avatar? Yep. In fact, I do. Tell me more. <laughs> In fact, I do. <laughs> oh Dude, my god. I'm not. I'm. So, I'm gonna say it. I am. I am all for it. I am all for this. I just don't want them to fuck it up like Sony did. Um, no, I don't think they will. But there is all confirmed characters. Here we go. Ready? 
This is the Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl's roster as of three days ago. Helga from Hey Arnold. Danny Phantom. You can't have this All-Stars without Danny Phantom. Of course not. Right. Sandy Cheeks from SpongeBob, obviously. Zim. Nigel Thornberry. Okay, that one I don't I don't get, but all right. Michelangelo and Leonardo from the Turtles. I didn't even think they were Nickelodeon properties. Yep. Uh, they are. <laughs> SpongeBob SquarePants. Nickelodeon. I just didn't know they were actual Nickelodeon properties. Yep. Yeah. Damn. SpongeBob Damn. SpongeBob SquarePants, Patrick Starr, Reptar from the Rugrats. That's Bowser. That's without a tell. That's where they were going. <laughs> Lincoln Loud and Lucy Loud. I don't know who those are. They're from a show called The Loud House, where uh, apparently it's a show about an entire family with 12 children, where it's 11 girls and one guy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ablina from Ah Real Monsters. And Powdered Toast Man from Ren and Stimpy. Noise. <laughs> you got it. in Stimpy love, man. So, um, I don't know who. Let me see if I can find out who developed this. I don't know. It's so so. From what I okay, Slap City developers, uh, Ludosity are leading work on the game along with Fair Play Labs, the team behind GI Joe Operation Blackout and publisher Game Mill Entertainment. So it's an American. Oh, that's why All-Star Brawl looks like it has taken parts from Super Smash Brothers, Brawlhalla and Slap City. I mean, fair enough. So. Yep. Fall 2021 PS4, PS5, one Xbox Series X and S and the Switch. Uh, and a PC launch uh, is happening for this thing. So, fantastic. Like I said, I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be a stupid, retarded fighter, but I think it's going to be fun. It's it going to be stupid. Fun. That's what you want. What is, did you guys hear about this? Super Smash Brothers? Uh, players can score some new spirits during this week. They all you they do that with every uh DLC character when they put them in the games. It's no different. No, but it's from Sakura of Rice and Ruin. Yeah, fair enough. I've never even heard of that. That sounds cool. Yeah, I didn't even hear it either. Now I know. Now I want to know what Sakura Rice and Ruin is. What the hell kind of hole did I just dive down and not, not know about? <laughs> anyway, but you, so you get some free time. We're not recording. <laughs> I know, right? Jesus, fuck. Uh, so this all star is it's it looks like U.S. based. It's not made from a Japanese developer. Uh, it might not even be what? U.S. based, but it's the yeah. first fighting game to come out to have rollback net code as a fighting game, like off the bat. Which everybody's uh, like super happy about it basically it allows you to play overseas without effectively without having any lag so it's like you guys would be playing in the same room and it just rolls back the net code roll back net code 
<laughs> so I don't know. I'm uh I'm excited for it, but I'm not as excited like I need to go buy it day one. So I mean we'll I see. Mean- what I mean, I might just buy it just to see how it's how it's like. If it's like more than 30 bucks, I'm not buying it. <laughs> you know, it's going to be a full price game. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, but even Power Rangers Attack of the Grid was not that expensive when it got released. Power Rangers hasn't been nearly as popular as it was in the 90s. Nickelodeon has been a titan since its inception. Yeah. So? (laughs) You are talking about two things that are completely different in value. You want to make the argument that Sentai is a thing? Fine. Most people, especially in the West, do not know much about Super Sentai. So the value of of its history is not there. But if you consider Nickelodeon and its popularity, especially for the fact that it's being developed in the West, it makes perfect sense for them to release the game at full price. True, but with that little of characters, I don't think we're going to see a $60 price tag on it. It already has SpongeBob SquarePants as a playable character. <laughs> it's going to be full price. You know what? I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> it says fall 2020. The price has to be out there. All-Star Brawl. It's $50. (laughs) I'm surprised. So I'm not buying it. (laughs) I wouldn't mind doing it. Well, at least we have somebody who can review it then. Go for it. Super Smash Brothers on the Nintendo Switch. Featuring your favorite characters such as Patrick Starr. The girl from Honeybee and Red and Stimpy. <laughs> Dude, they have to see. I, I, I guarantee they have those characters waiting and then they're going to drop them. I guarantee it. Although it's stupid as hell. If they're going to think that SpongeBob SquarePants is not a is a character they have to somehow, you know, you know, announce. It's like, of course SpongeBob's going to be in the game. That's like saying Mario is going to be announced in the next Smash Brothers as a playable character. <laughs> Who the fuck would think that Mario wouldn't going to be in the game? Why would you think that Mario may not be in the game? That is true. Like, it's, it, it's idiotic. SpongeBob is one of the most iconic uh, series Nickelodeon has ever had. It is their literal biggest cash cow. Is there crossplay it, on Brawlhalla? Yes. Do you know? Okay, yeah. So there's probably going to be crossplay on this one too. I can't figure out. It's not telling me if there's crossplay or not. <laughs> probably something they haven't considered yet. Oh, you got to be kidding me. It's a fighting game. I'm sure they considered it. Especially because it's coming from the developers from Brawlhalla. <laughs> so? You want to know when's the last time Nickelodeon made a fighting game? Never. No, they've made fighting games before. They were just shit. Uh, 
What did it? What what fighting game did it? No, they didn't. <laughs> it, it was back during the PS2 era. That's like saying that's like calling Shaq Fu a fighting game. It is a fighting game. Why do you think people burn it? <laughs> they hate it. It's one of the worst fighting games of all time. And rightfully so. It was so bad that its sequel could no longer be a fighting game. It had to be a beat em up. Dude, I <laughs> I got it when the Switch put it out for free. <laughs> yeah, so so fucking mediocre and so bad the first game was that nobody wanted to buy it. They couldn't even give it away. It's like that Bubsy platformer that came out recently, too. Oh, fucking hell. Wait a minute. They have not. Yes, they have. Super Brawl action game. They have had four fighting games. Didn't I fucking tell you? How come no one ever talks about these? <laughs> because they suck. <laughs> Fair, but at least say they suck and tell people about them. No, that's how these are the mediocre fighters, the ones that are shit, but they're not complete shit. They're forgettable at best. That's how it needs to be. Dude, they could have at least put a puppy dog panel into it. <laughs> Super Brawl 2. Oh, my God. It had Jimmy Neutron on it. Oh, yeah. Spongebob, Plankton, Sheen, Kitty Catswell, Chum Chum, Todd from Wayside, Skipper, Sandy, Jimmy Neutron, Otis, Bessie, Ang, <laughs> Ang <laughs> from Avatar, Kyle, Fanboy, Dudley Puppy. Since when do you watch Shyamalan? <laughs> I did soak the deal of alcohol and popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> King Julian was in this? Come on. This can't be bad. They had the Flying Dutchman ship as a, as a stage. <laughs> it, so? Now I gotta find these games. What were these released for? <laughs> All-Stars had fucking... They had fucking Parappa the Rapper as a playable character. Do you think that's gonna matter? <laughs> Oh, man. I'm not going to lie. I like the original Shaq Fu. <laughs> I thought it was pretty decent. <laughs> In an era where you had, like, Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter. <laughs> and yeah, I'm going to go with Orlando. You're a bit, you're a bit of bad shit. Yeah. It was just because it was called Shaq Fu. And you could be Shaq. <laughs> and, he is, selling points. and he's literally <laughs> the worst character in his own Oh my god. You know, I almost bought Soul Calibur the other day, the newest Soul Calibur. Oh. How'd you like it? I almost did. I did not buy it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Just know that the story mode is essentially the first game story. Nice. I played it with you when you first got it. When we were at yeah. Drew's? 
And I got my ass kicked because I haven't played a Soul Calibur game in like fucking forever. And you and and I'll tell you this: you will get your ass kicked again the next time if we do play it. Ooh, uh, them's fighting not- words. <laughs> We should take this to the ponies and play some fighting herds. If I was telling it to somebody, then I'd be fighting. <laughs> oh, man. My kids have been playing a lot of Jump Force. I'm actually thinking about getting it. They just released the newest character, which is another JoJo character. So you can finally play all. Th- you can have a full JoJo team now. I'll just stick with the jo- I'll just stick with the JoJo arcade fighting game. That's OK. There you go. Jump Force, the way Jump Force plays as like an arena fighter doesn't. I think it's getting a bad rep. I think it's not that as bad a game as people are making it out to be. I mean, I never thought it was a bad fighting game. You get to play a set Kaiba. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't Eric know. Stewart had a fucking fun time. There's a I lot of. Kaiser Four, no Force Raider, <laughs> Sanjian. Soggy and blue eyes, white dragon, blue eyes, white dragon, blue eyes, white dragon. Because you know they're spamming that move. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know. The game does not seem as bad as everybody was talking shit about it. So to be fair though, they've had several years to to improve the game, so it probably was shit at launch. Yeah, they didn't have the character roster now is way bigger than it was at launch. Which is every it's just why everybody talks about how you know they always make the argument, well, you shouldn't judge a game at launch. You never know if they're gonna make the game better. And all I gotta tell you is then don't release the game on the date you say you're going to release the fucking game. Oh, you mean like Cyberpunk and then watch what how that went. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, don't even go that. Remember, we still have Fallout 76, and it's a fucking disaster. It got, Fallout 76 got better. It did. It, yeah, it almost got the redemption of No Man's Sky. It's better when you were given the chance to develop it later down the line, while everybody has to chug in its disastrous excuse for a launch. No Man's Sky. I mean, oh, what? Sorry. But No Man's Wait, Sky so. got better, too, though. That's the you thing. Like, oh shit, it's getting contagious. I know, right? <laughs> they keep they keep releasing these games like half finished, and then what do you what do you expect? Then you lose your audience, and by the time it gets good, then you no longer have a fucking audience. <laughs> That's the point. You you burn up all the goodwill you have at launch, and then you expect people to come back when it's better. No, just fucking delay the game. I know that cuts into your profits, but it's only gonna make it worse if it ends up being a completely trash mess. God of War. <laughs> I mean, people still enjoyed God of War, even at launch. No, I'm talking about the newest one. That's why the one with Data Boy, right? No, the one that they're still developing right now that they were getting death threats over that we covered. Were you not oh, here? Right. <laughs> oh yeah, he wasn't here. Uh, God of War Ragnarok. Yeah, the, the one of the developers was getting death threats for the fact that it got delayed. Did he shoot the threatener? No. Can he shoot the threatener? Wish. <laughs> they no, it wasn't even the develop the so like the lead developer took the took the brunt of the hit for like everybody. Well, it probably was his decision anyway, but 
it, um, who got threatened was somebody that literally just got hired onto the team. And the worst part about it was it was a female. So it was a female game developer that got hired onto the team that caught the death threats. And they were because like right after she got hired, they delayed the game. So everybody blamed her like it was her fault. <laughs> of course, because they because they see patterns in the in the waves. They, they think she suddenly appeared and that's the reason why they're delaying it, because they're trying to she's, she's trying to destroy everything that makes, you know, Dad Bod Mc McSwordmaster the 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 main the, the, the main, <laughs> main protagonist for all the games. Oh my god. I don't know. So um speaking of games, do we want to get into this PS4 or P- PlayStation State of Play? Yeah, just get it over with. Officially. Just rip the bandit off. I don't give a shit. And you have more information on this than either of us do. God. So I so they did PlayStation did their state of play, which should have been their E3 presentation, and they crammed it into a half hour, which I was like, really? You gave me 30 minutes of fucking garbage. And even the worst part, the last, like, I think two minutes was just black screen. There was, like, no sound, no nothing. Like, your editing team even fucked up the state of play video. Anyway. (laughs) So, yeah. Honestly, it just looked like straight fucking garbage. There's more games than the ones I'm going to talk about. But like those other games, I have no interest in playing like at all. Um, The first one that's coming out, I think this month. Yeah, it's coming out this month is Fists. um, No, not Fist. Tribes of Midgard. Damn it. I thought it was going to go with Fist of the North Star. No, no, no. Tribes of of Midgard. And it's... um, it gives me like RTS feels. Um, and I think that's what they're trying to go for in a Norris, like mythology type thing. It, I don't know. The game doesn't seem too interesting to me. There's another game called fist and fist is the one that I'm kind of curious about because with all of the major graphic upgrades, remember Oddworld when we talked about that, how they said they were in a, like a 2.5 D like, yeah, yeah. So Fist is done in that same style, like that 2.5D like side scrolling platformer. So it looks interesting just because it's a platformer and that's the kind of like style we tend to like. At least I like you. I mean, me and Drew and I mean, you guys all play platformers. Do we? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not Castlevania-esque style, but it's like. I don't know. It's a platformer. Anyway, um, then there's Hunter's Arena. Hunter's Arena seems. It's like PVP based and you go out, you hunt demons, but you all can also hunt hunters. And I don't know how it works, but you can do single player where you're against NPCs and PCs in an arena, or you can do three on three. And then another one's like um, massive, like a mass battle type thing. It seems cool. The catch with this one, though, is if you subscribe to the PlayStation Plus, August 3rd, you get it for free. So just (laughs) wait to get it for free, I guess. (laughs) Fair enough. Sounds exciting for free. I know, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's the only like I'm like, oh, I'm. it's part of my like thing. All right. I guess I'm getting this one. Um, Demon Slayer, they have a Demon Slayer game coming out. It looks very 
Naruto-esque, like the Naruto-style games where you have the characters and you play through the missions. That's the kind of feel it has. Obviously, a little bit better graphics. It's another anime game, in my opinion. Ah, so it's like that Animu Dark Souls. Uh, I don't know if it's like that. Did you ever play any of the Naruto games? Like the story modes, even? No. Yeah, it's... So, um. So it's kind of like a... Is it another anime fighting game? It's not a fighting game. At least I doesn't. It didn't allude that it even had that mode in it. Well, isn't the Naruto games mostly fighters? No, they have a storyline that you can play through, and then they had people adapted those games into fighting games because they had an online fighting system to it. But it was mostly about like the story mode. I had no idea. I only remember playing one Naruto game, and it was a fighting game. I mean, they were all fighting games. <laughs> the game was run around and throw kunai. Yeah, it's a, yeah, that was part of the game, though. And then you could do that at like you can do that portion of the game alone and just be a play a fighter or you could play through like the story and go into like those little boss fights. I don't know. This is the way it's this is the way the Demon Slayer seems to me. It, it's a very like anime game style to it. It, it doesn't a playable character. Huh? Is Nezuko a playable character? Who's Nezuko? The girl with the thing in her mouth. <laughs> no, not that I saw. They had the, the three they showed off were Tanjiro. She is literally the biggest meme in the whole fucking series. I just started the series. I'm only on episode 10. 10. So you can play as Tanjiro. You can play as the boar headed guy. I haven't met him in the anime yet, so I don't know his name. And the lightning guy, like I've seen him, but they haven't named him yet. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, but when they at the end of the trailer, they show all of the characters like um, uh, Tanjiro's uh, teacher. Uh, they flashed past um, you know, the demons, like the bad demons that he's fought. The guy with the fucking arrows and the girl with the ball. So. Who knows? Maybe they're just story characters, or maybe this is actual like fighting game built into the story type game. Who fucking knows? Um, the game that I thought was the coolest out of all of them was Lost Judgment, and the graphics on it are so fucking realistic. Like it starts off in a courtroom and. This guy's being prosecuted for something, but then he starts the story and then you play through the story. And it's he said the sky was getting prosecuted. Like No no, this guy. Guy? Guy. Like a guy. <laughs> Dude, it look I literally I literally thought I was watching like a movie until like it gets to like later on. The cutscenes look like so realistic. It's it blows my mind. Um which makes me worried for the PS4 version because it's coming out for both of them. Um, but it's like, the, so the cutscenes are super hyper realistic, but then the gameplay is like, it looks very Arkham Asylum like, where you have like, you're a detective and you have like, the, you can see things, but then you get into a bunch of fights 
it looks I mean it looks really awesome. It's done by Sega and it won't be out till September 24th. Yeah. So that's the only game that I was in the 30 minutes that I was super hyped for. Their big sh- main like showcase that they spent most of their time on was Deathloop. Um and that's the game where like you die, you can rewind like, up to two times and if you die you have to restart but you keep all of your memories and it's it's this this is the second style game from that whole thing well if you this count is, this reminds me of prince of persia the sands of time uh kind of you so you're stuck in this death loop and your character the main character that you play as his whole goal is to kill everybody and break the loop <laughs> So he's trying to find a way to get out of dying all the time because he picks up pretty quickly that he like once you die, he relives the same day, like a Groundhog Day type effect. All right. All right. Yeah, I I don't know. It's it looks it's it looks like an interesting game. It, it has this like doom eternal feel to it. Uh, You can every time you die, you can you gain like power that you can keep your loadouts. So even if you die, you start over with your loadout or a loadout that you like. It's a cool concept. I don't know how great of a game it's going to be. I don't know. That was their major showcase. So out of the half hour, it was one, two, three four, five, six games in a half hour. And only one of them actually like piqued my interest. So. That's disappointing. I know, right? You, you you put out your own state of play. Like this was your goal. Like you, you told everybody you were not going to be at E3 ever again, but 2020, there was no E3, right? So everybody put out their own like little trailer thing and PlayStation did their first state of play. What the fuck? Like, this is your time to shine and all eyes are on you and you're going to fuck it up by only giving us six games <laughs> there. I mean, there's probably there's probably 10 total, but like the 10 were like some of the indie ones that were already like seen. They're just on PlayStation. <sighs> I just <sighs> like how badly can you fuck up your own fucking state of play? Like your own showcase and you gave us nothing. Even like at least Xbox told us Bethesda's games were going to be their thing and released two new titles. You didn't give a shit except for everything that was releasing this year. (laughs) I mean, this is what happens when you've become too arrogant for your own good. Yeah. Oh, they pushed. That was the other thing. The game Sifu that we talked about. Uh, they pushed Sifu to early 2022. All right. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't fucking know, man. <laughs> you gave us literally nothing. Not even like a, you know, like an explanation of we're going to roll out a bunch of PS5s or you know, sorry for the scalpers or we know the scalpers are there. This is what we're going to do. No, no, nothing. <laughs> Basically, well, talking about everything is fine. Everything is fine. Everything is fine. There's no warning bossing. Say <laughs> I was There's about no to say. 
Oh, man. They just want to pull, like, the wool over our eyes and, like, act like we're not paying a fucking attention to what the fuck's going on. But lo and behold, we all know what the fuck's going on. You're just not giving us anything to fucking work with. Thanks for playing. <laughs> I didn't even see, like, a thank you message. Like, thank you for playing PlayStation or <laughs> nothing. Nothing. <laughs> what are you talking about? Sony, you don't think... Sony doesn't thank you. You thank Sony. <laughs> Thanks for fucking up my life, Sony. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, no, they didn't um It was the biggest waste of a half hour that you could have probably gotten. And I know what you're thinking. You listen to this podcast and we've wasted uh to a maximum of 4 hours at some points for you. But guess what? This is a half hour I will never get back. And this is the same half hour that you're not going to get back from me. So fucking bite me. <laughs> I suffer. Also, you suffer. <laughs> you can have us on in the background and, you know, do other things with your life, like wash dishes, contemplate your existence, maybe play a video game. You actually have to watch the state of play. So you have a vague idea of what, you know, homesick abortions getting getting hefted onto the goddamn plate at Sony. So you have to actually pay attention. We're at least telling you you can go do something of value outside of listening to us. Well, here's the here's like the worst part about this is that I watched the state of play and so you didn't fucking have to. <laughs> Think about it that way. I did you I did you a favor. <laughs> and if my opinion actually matters to you for some godforsaken fucking reason, then now you know that Sony done shit the brick with fucking um, their state of play when they could have done a million fucking other things, but no, that's not what we got. <laughs> so anyway, now that we've beaten that dead horse in the fucking ground, <laughs> bring it. I don't know what we're talking about next. <laughs> All right. So, uh, apparently the, President, the CEO of Xbox, for whatever reason, decided um, they were a bit concerned of the state of, what was it? The, the state of the history of gaming, mm -hmm. how apparently we might be doing a poor job at preserving uh, games. That's an interesting thought. So this is going to tie us into that conversation of emulators and Nintendo's whole fucking hate for emulators. By all means, go for it. I mean, no, that's what I'm saying. That's what it does. Like, <clears throat> if you're not going to re-release the game and he's worried about retro gaming, and I get that. And it's very hard and it's not affordable to be a retro gamer at times. Like I'm running into the problem of finding a decently priced Suikoden that I'm not paying like $200 for. Will I pay $200 for it? Yeah, but I'm not going to run out and pay $200 if I don't have to. And it's like, that's not even Suikoden. I'm talking about like Ark the Lad right now, but still. These games are going to go up in value and there needs to be a way to play these games or enjoy them. So if companies were better about their emulators, 
that's a different story. But as far as emulation goes, I don't know. Like the third part, the whole third party thing, Nintendo hates it. Are they in the right? Yeah. Is it kind of douchey? Yeah. But at the same time, Nintendo could be cashing in on that stuff. The problem with it is that we were all duped into the the emulation line. We all were first being told that emulation hurts the developer, hurts the people that makes the games, and that it cuts them, it cuts into their uh, sales. But that's and for new games. We're, we're talking about games that are like twenty years out already. But that was the point that they made all those years ago. Even then. Yeah. And we bought into it. And because we bought into it, we kept pushing and made the idea of emulation taboo. Thus it be- it began um it began hurting the community more because when the because back then the retro market wasn't really a thing. You could buy most old games for pennies on the fucking dollar. But we're talking about a whole like when did gaming start? Like f- official, we're talking about when did Atari start? We're talking about the That's 1980s. Yeah. That's and what I'm if saying. You want to go back even further, the first video game console was back in 1978 with the with the Odyssey, the Magnavox Odyssey. Okay. And if you want to be even more technical with that, you still have the, the Tennis for Two that was made back in the 50s using old, uh, old, uh, uh, radi- radar equipment. Okay, but do you see the point, though? Like, these games aren't, like, pennies on the dollar, 10-year-old games anymore. These are 20, 30-year-old games now. 40-year-old games, right? 1980s? They're 40-year-old games. <laughs> like, they're not readily yeah. available anymore. At all. And w- depends on what your perspective on available is. If you're talking about in and of themselves, the actual physical media, sure, you do have a certain amount of drop-off that's occurring, but that, I would defy you to not be able to go and find an Atari, uh, like an Atari plug-and-play that doesn't have nearly every popular game for Atari that had come out. So you do have a way to play those things. That's not outside of the realm. Plus, you have the Atari VCS that just came out recently for whatever fucking reason that happened. So there is actual archival in place. What it comes down to is when they made emulation of older games synonymous with piracy piracy in general, Mm -hmm. it's when when the taboo started started to come into effect. It also helped that a a lot of companies like GOG and Steam gave retro gaming a relatively affordable avenue in some cases so you could find some retro games on steam and good old games had a fuck ton of old games that you could purchase for pennies on the dollar and just have in your library uh free uh uh, what is it called drm free so there are ways to do it the problem ends up being is that those things sprung up from grassroots emulation efforts that had occurred on the fans part and that's honestly where those things should have stayed from the beginning but big business can't keep their fucking noses out of anything especially when it involves ips that they've already discarded long ago that's what i'm saying like they they want to release 
games that you'll pay for, right? Like the whole look at Nintendo's um, Nintendo Online's catalog right now. They're their most popular games. You're not going to find those obscure titles that nobody knows about. They're going to make. I would counter that actually because until I think it wasn't until uh, um, uh, game oh, retro game reviewing became a thing in YouTube. Like right. Demon Crest didn't become popular. That was a hidden gem. That was a game you could find for like two to three dollars U.S. dollars before it be, before it became not, uh, notorious within the YouTube gaming community. Right. A lot of the rare games that are being sold for ridiculous prices through the secondary market is a result of the rise of the retro fad that began back around the beginning of YouTube. We created our own poison secondary market. Yeah. But you're not gonna find you're not gonna find a streamer going out there playing roly poly. No. But <laughs> That's what I'm saying. No, no, there's still there's still the speedrun community that plays a bunch of different games, some of them not even relatively popular. You still have uh, some niche markets where uh, old YouTube uh, uh, YouTube channels will review obscure old games and ROM hacks. So there's light still being shed on these things. You're talking about specifically archival. I can't really agree with with the CEO of Xbox on this because everything that's occurring, he's talking about in an official capacity in the actual gaming uh, industry. Right. Which in and of itself, in that self-contained statement, he is correct. The gaming industry has dropped the ball on gaming archival. He is 100% correct. Right. However, he is doing this because he cannot shed light on the fan-made archival that's already in place because it's technically not legal in most places. Well, so, I think what he's calling for is he's calling for Nintendo, PlayStation, and even Xbox to step up their game, step up their game and bring out their own iCarvel archival official stuff instead of they're basically they want to take the money away from the the fans and bring it back to the company and bring the fans along with them that's what that's what i think he's talking about except companies like nintendo are not going to be willing to uh comply with that there are many many games that nintendo still holds that fans do want and are not willing to resell. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is, is they. I don't know that this is one of the major problems that most people would have from an outsider's perspective. We as customers are not fully aware of how much old data these companies have access to. And I say this because if you look at um, starting with the 360, uh, the amount of games that were backwards compatible to the to the original Xbox were varied because of the the data that they had access to was very limited. And if you look at a lot of the stuff that's been released for the Nintendo Online, first of all, 
Nintendo Online hasn't had any new updates in what two or three months now. Yeah. No, they actually update monthly. The problem is, is that they don't provide much. Right, you get like a game or two on each on each of their platforms, or or a and save then... file start from. Right. Yeah. It's it's a trickle, and honestly, at this point, the only way for them to go is to add another platform. And I mean, at this point, we're at well, that's N64. Yep. And they would need to do they would need to do that at this point if they want to keep going. They and, and with Nintendo OLED OLED coming out, I can see them pushing that forward as another thing to add on to the Nintendo Online thing. Because let's be honest, I don't know what the numbers for retention are on Nintendo Online, but they can't be all that great i'm not saying they're probably bad but maybe mediocre in contrast to like playstation plus or xbox live where they have much more vibrant uh like communities communities not just not just libraries but communities that of people who are much more in sync with each other because they're able to play with each other nintendo never gave a shit about online play let's all talk let's all be honest we're going to take a big cleveland steamer on nintendo they don't really like online play in general. No, because they because you're talking about a traditionalist company that looks at video games as a medium for people to get together and have fun. They don't look at the internet as a medium for getting together. So it is a communication, but it doesn't. It's not something that fosters, or in their eyes, a real friendship. Whether that's correct or not is obviously up for debate. And in that, they don't feel compelled to improve that much upon it. I think that's the most ironic coming from a company that created the Mario Party franchise. Yeah. <laughs> and As it's not really ironic. It's actually on brand. No. Because the Mario Party franchise is very much about getting together and being... And destroying those very bots. <laughs> yeah. Oh, please. They didn't start the fire. That was, that was Monopoly that did that. Monopoly? And, and Uno. <laughs> so as of se- crowded crowded room already as of september 2020 nintendo revealed its online service for the switch now has over 26 million paid users now how is that in contrast to uh xbox live and ps plus um Let me see. PlayStation subscribers as of. Let's see. End of 2020 fiscal year has 47.6 million. So double. Yeah. Xbox Live subscriptions. And if you look, and, and we've talked about this before, when when the place when uh, the Nintendo Online thing first surfaced, way back in the day, and I can say that because damn, um, the value versus cost is something that many people have been throwing back in Nintendo's face. It's like it only costs you what four ninety nine a month. As of December twenty twenty, Microsoft's online gaming service has approximately one hundred million monthly active users yeah they're they're the king well that's because but that's because their stream service has gotten a thousand times better since they've released it 
remember Xbox is pushing to that streaming side of everything, which has been phenomenal for them. Where PlayStation hasn't moved into that. And Nintendo that will never move into that. That doesn't change the fact that their current subscribers, or at the least their current users, are still five times that of Nintendo. Correct. But there's no advantage to having Nintendo other than uh, a few games that need the live and a small library of retro games. That, like you said, yeah. doesn't really get updated all too often. To it is to and, a significant and, amount. Right. They give you one or two games at most for each platform. People are still clamoring for the N64 to become available. Think on, of it on this online. way. The they Wii can release use, the Wii's eShop has all of that. Plus we no plus no plus it has a GameCube and a a Wii section. And a D, there's a DS section too. That's yes. what I was about to say. The, I was like, they have they can go back and release those Game Boy games. They have that technology. They've had it. They, and they refuse. It's baffling. Yeah. And this is on a superior console. At least PlayStation's PlayStation's gone back to they've released what their PS2 classics that you can buy. I don't know what Xbox does. I'm I haven't I've been out of the touch with Xbox for a long time. But PlayStation Xbox- Still lets you still lets you buy Xbox 360 games on on there and let you play them uh, remotely. Right. So, but PlayStation went all the way back to PlayStation Two classics, right? Or could you still buy PS One classics on there? They still had PS One classics on there. Okay. So yeah. So PlayStation is at least giving you an option to go all the way back. Um, where Nintendo, granted, they don't have more, they don't have far to go back on. Right. But Nintendo, but what Nintendo has, aren't that huge of games anyway. Let's let's be honest here. Yeah. It's not even all that. It's not even that huge. They have the biggest opportunity, and they don't take advantage. Especially with what? GameCube. GameCube has such big titles on it that like they to could. Be with, to be fair with GameCube, it was their worst selling console. I will give them that. Oh, and they had such even, good games. <laughs> yes, but that still doesn't matter much when it didn't reflect upon their first release. You have to understand something, too, with Nintendo. <clears throat> Nintendo is about the experience and the fun. And they will sacrifice a lot of what is perceived to be uh, quality improvements that other systems make. If you look at the GameCube, um, they finally made it to discs, but they're small discs, so they don't hold a lot of data. So they weren't able to really propel much of the third-party market in contrast to Sony and Microsoft at that point. If you look at a lot of what they were offering, their first-party stuff was a lot stronger than their third-party stuff, which is not uncommon for Nintendo to begin with. No. They're, they've always been more more in house when it comes to a lot of their offerings, and it's not a bad thing. It's just a it's a, it's just a character critique at this point, right? So when when you look at the stuff that was put out, it was near where the other where others were for the GameCube versus Xbox and uh, PlayStation Two. I would argue it's actually they were actually more powerful than people gave credit for. 
For an example, would be Resident Evil 4. If you looked at it when it came mm-hmm. from a technical aspect, the GameCube version is still comparable to that of the Wii version over the PS2 version every fucking day of the week. The Wii, the, the PS2's uh, quality tanked because it could not because it it could not handle uh, the version that the the, the GameCube. Uh, the GameCube specs, I mean, but Exchange it was given like more content to uh, to work with, so I guess there's that. I mean, I can name seven huge titles from the GameCube that people still enjoy to this, like can still enjoy to this day. Like that's the well, sick part so about it, huh? Only saying that they couldn't. Right. I'm saying that at their initial releases, relatively speaking, they didn't garner nearly as much sales as. Nintendo would have liked, and I think that would be the only slightest bit of uh, uh, credence to them hesitating on releasing a GameCube uh, support on the Switch. That would be my only understanding. The only remember, even on the Wii U, the closest thing we even got to that before they even released a GameCube section for their Wii for their eShop was the GameCube adapter for Smash Bros. Mm-hmm. Because no matter what you want to say, Melee was their biggest fucking game on the console. No competition, no hands down. It was the equivalent of buying Halo, buying the Xbox for Halo. That's how big Melee was. Yep. But everything else wasn't even close. And like I mentioned with Resident Evil 4, as big as it was on the GameCube, they had to release it on the PS2 because it wasn't netting fucking Capcom the returns they wanted. It, it was it was still selling relatively poorly. But that was the first time Resident Evil moved into Nintendo. So, no, and it was... Not even... Resident Evil 2 was released on the N64. But what I'm saying is that it's got it was its own title exclusive to Nintendo. It didn't have they didn't have that before. Yeah, but Capcom made that mistake before with fucking Code Veronica on the on on the Dreamcast. And Nintendo was the company that put um, or at least it was believed Nintendo was the company that put Sega out of the market. So it would have been fair to expect that Nintendo would have, that that partnering up with Nintendo with an exclusive title would have net them greater sales. The only realistic game they had like that at the time though was Metroid. That was it. Like as far as like horror, horror was not a thing that happened on Nintendo. Resident Evil, uh, you're, no, not even uh, Eternal Darkness. Was also on. Was also out at the time. It was a third party, a third, a third person one. Though. So was Resident Evil Four. He's talking about oh, horror games enough. in general. Fair yeah. enough. I don't. <sighs> Nintendo is not the system that you go for for that style game, though. It never has been. Conker's Bad Fur Day was like an anomaly to what that to what the N sixty four was. It wasn't a horror game, though. No, but, but it wasn't. A, it was. It was an adult, mature game. I mean, outside of Goldeneye, Goldeneye and Perfect Dark, you had those two shooters that were the best. That were probably some of the best, like party games that you can. Well, Goldeneye at least that you could get to. 
And I'll defy you on that one. I say T- Turok and its light up a series. Ooh, I forgot about Turok. I love Turok. It was insane. It was absolutely stupid in its fucking story. Is, and it had so many fucking guns to play with. But as far as first person shooters go, like Goldeneye was by far the leader of that system. Everyone will say that, but this I'm only saying it as my personal opinion because I fuck I I make I'll play I'll play fucking Perfect Dark over Goldeneye and I will play Turok over both of them. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't play Perfect Dark until later on. I like Goldeneye was like my end to shooter games. I don't know. Resident Evil <sighs> I don't know. They had the GameCube had such good games though. Like they still they had they had Dark Cloud enough to garner the sales they needed. I mean, my thing with that is like if you contrast the way uh, GameCube had, in my opinion, this is my opinion only in a vacuum. So you know, shit on me directly if you're going to. Um, (laughs) In my opinion, GameCube had the better games. The N64 had the better hype. Yes, and that's where dissonance happened because I'm no I, I, like when I saw people playing Ocarina of Time way back in the day, and I kind of regretted the fact that my parents were getting me a PlayStation. Those feelings evaporated pretty much after the first time I played played uh, Final Fantasy Tactics in seven, and I never felt bad about stay, staying with the PlayStation at that point going forward. Fair enough, because when you contrast. Did 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 Nintendo provide decent uh, acceleration to a lot of the technology for 3D gaming and stuff? Yes. It was it consistent? God no. PlayStation had it hands down from the beginning, and was it a little bit more blocky? Sure. But the fluid motions and everything like that, I would still give I would still give most of the props to the PlayStation at the end of the day. But that's not everyone. Because they're still the diehard fans who grew up with the N64. I'm one of them. Right. But when you contrast when you contrast the two, most people, when you take off the nostalgia goggles, agree that PlayStation had a had a more effective lineup of because course. they had better support. They didn't they didn't just have a, a more effective they had a far substantial lineup. Because the one thing that the PlayStation had the advantage of over the Nintendo sixty four was the practicality of the hardware. They had you know, they had years to work with that technology, and it made it work. But while the the tech of the N64, while it was far more powerful, it was much more difficult to work with. Given making it a lot, making it a lot harder for developers to feel confident to work with the system. Now, you can argue that perhaps if they had a better um, if, if, if the tech was easier, they could have had a better lineup. Fine. But regardless of how you want to go about it, the CDs were still far more efficient when it came to memory. They were able to hold a lot more information even than the cartridges hand. And for a console that was supposed to be high tech, more so than the PlayStation, that's going to lead fans to think – to lean towards more the PlayStation than they did – than the N64. Now – I will give you that, personally, 
there were a lot of games on the PlayStation that I fucking adored, and I'm a fighting game fan. And if there was a console that would have let me jealous over, it would have been the fucking PlayStation with all its fucking Capcom versus games. Oh my <laughs> god, even if they were butchered ports, I enjoyed them all the same. The all the Capcom offerings because they had they had the Alpha series on there. Yep. They had the EX Alpha series on there as well. The first, uh -huh. one of the first 3D uh, Street Fighter games that was ported directly from the arcade. Tekken three. The Tekken series started there. Uh, Soul Edge was on there. Yep. Which I mean wasn't a, wasn't a bad port from the arcade at all. Nope. Um, the Toshinden series was pretty decent on there as well. If you like 3D fighting games to start off with, Paul didn't age well now, but looking back on it, I mean, if you stay within the with the framework, it was a pretty decent game. Not to mention the fucking field and a half of RPGs that it popped up on the PlayStation, not even including the Final Fantasy series specific. It, yeah. the, the PlayStation, hands down, had better, the better pedigree. Yeah, superior library. Over a thousand games on the fucking PlayStation. How many did Nintendo have? 300, and that's including Japanese releases. Yep. There was no fucking comparison. Now, argue that the Nintendo 64 had a great had a great first party titles. Absolutely. No one's gonna fucking deny that. No, not at all. But there was. There's no doubt about how inferior, when it came to the the general libraries, were. There's no comparison. Nope. That PlayStation, it came and knocked that shit right out of the park. It had a far superior third-party support than Nintendo ever had. And since. And this is and and honestly. Even the more blocky polygonal stuff, I could still pick up and play again with very little difficulty at this point, because it's just the the fun was there. And when it comes to and, and kind of circling back to what we were we our original uh, topic was stuff like that, and the three hundred games for the N sixty four, they all deserve to be archived by the companies that created them. I will not dispute this. However. I will never take away what the fans have done for archival purposes. And honestly, as a underground thing, in, 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 in and of itself, it should be continued to be encouraged just for preservation's sake. Because the fans can do what the companies can't. Or the companies won't do. No, it's in, in most cases, it's a 60-40 split. 60 won't, 40 can't. Because licensing doesn't carry over across uh, carry over across things. Yeah. So if a third-party company made a game, they have to re-license that IP and everything. And sometimes those companies don't even fucking exist, or they exist as like an estate in some cases, and it's a lot more legal headache. So it's all it's a very black market scenario, but for the betterment of the gaming community. Because eventually, you and I will buy a two terabyte hard drive and load it with every single game that we've enjoyed across platforms, <laughs> link to the computer, and play it. And it's going to be there forever, as long as that, as long as there's no bit rot on the on the uh, the hard drive. 
and it's just for the betterment of the community. Because here's what happens. You have a lot, you have, you know, a 20,000 plus library of video games across history. Somebody finds these things and it gets them to, I don't know, place something in the same IP that might be newer. It creates flourishing in, a, in an industry that refuses to cultivate its own, its own fucking wellspring. It's a value thing on the fans. Whether it's legal or not is irrelevant to the necessity of it being done so that it's never forgotten. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I agree, but where does it start and where do you draw the line? You know what I'm saying? Like, what are you talking about in particular? Just like as far as like copyright stuff goes, because that I mean, that's literally why Nintendo goes after those emulators, because, you know, they, they only, you know, they only go after them when they become public. Right. Right. Yeah. So a lot of the stuff, except for the emulation sites, the ROM sites they went after, most of that stuff is still available. They know Nintendo has to know that there's no way they're going to scour everything offline. They can't. It's impossible. Right. There are too many people who have all who have access to all this stuff. If you spent an evening, if Orlando decided to spend an evening and just going on a BitTorrent site and just taking the entire library from the SNES and the NES and putting it on his hard drive, he could do that. I can, and I have done at least a little bit of that. But see, that's, I, there's a difference between... Because I gave you a Raspberry Pi in your pocket. Yeah, and... Uh, I've played some games on the some Japanese only games that I kind of wish I never had. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sometimes, you, sometimes you end up playing Shoaniki and you have to you have to wash your eyes afterwards. <laughs> there's just there's a difference between tour sharing and like the peer to peer sharing and actually selling a service. And Nintendo goes after the ones that are selling the service. Not necessarily. There are people who are just proud to show the project because they want to make they want people to get hyped and excited over it because you know when you're building something from fucking scratch and you're proud of your work you want be you want people to acknowledge your progress and they'll shut it down. The problem with that has more to do with the gaming journalism industry and this will tie in nicely to our next subject. Gaming journalism doesn't know how to shut its fucking mouth when it's supposed to. And that's <laughs> the major headaches. A good project comes out of nowhere like AM2R, and then the fucking games journalists go, oh, this looks so cool, let's talk to, uh, talk about it. And then Daddy Nintendo comes out and goes, we're going to swat it down. And then that's the cease and desist come out of nowhere. So you, you, it's, like, it's like the little fucking brother who won't shut the fuck up when there's... When, something's happening in the background that they're not supposed to be paying attention to. And then they're trying to get their parents to pay attention to it because they think it's really neat, not realizing they shouldn't have said any fucking thing in the first place. See, that's the thing. Games journalists actually, like, fucking piss me off. And I'm not saying we're not games journalists, but we can't really even call ourselves journalists. We're more game commentators because we don't find the news. <laughs> like, we don't go out and study. Like, we, we do research stuff. But we research the stuff that's out there. We're not like, we're not insiders. We don't have inside like information or anything. So whatever we get, we've had to look for basically, right? But these journalists don't do their fucking jobs. Like 
our review that we put out last week a million times better than any fucking game review that you'll find out there right now. Period. Okay, since we're already into the discussion, let's go ahead and move on to it. So, <laughs> so apparently there's these journalists who believe that they're that their jobs of doing video game reviews should be done in the biggest amount of comfort to them as possible. They believe that if a game can be beaten on its easiest difficulty, not only that it should be that it should be that it should be done so and they should be okay with it. Now, I want I think this needs to come into into light because I'm getting sick and tired of this nonsense. Um, so, over the past decade and a half or so, the argument on whether or not games should have an easy mode has been getting rather heated. Because there is a pro- there are merits to having the idea of an easier difficulty in your games. Maybe you just want to have uh, your audience who plays the games to have an easier time of it. Maybe your games can be adaptable in how you want to design and how you want them designed so that uh, people with a wider set of skills can enjoy the game. Maybe you want the game to just simply be easy for everyone to play. Fine, I will not give you any fucking shit over why you want to decide on having an easy mode for your game. Go ahead and do it. And that's the game you that's the kind of game you want to enjoy. Go ahead and do it. And that's the kind of and that's the baseline that a lot of these game journalists like to use so that they can justify their fucking mediocrity when they play the fucking games. Because guess what? The the fucking people who buy the damn games to play it and enjoy them let them enjoy whatever fucking way they want to play it all they want but you're a goddamn journalist you're paid for this shit you should have a moniker of skill to be able to play your fucking games you should have at least some sort of skill because you get paid 40 to 100k a year to play this shit you should at least have some moniker of skill. Not fucking struggle at the goddamn tutorials. <laughs> because there are people on the goddamn internet who don't get paid and do shit that you can't fucking imagine. And they do it for fun. And you're out there bitching and whining that you're playing games on easy mode should make you legit. You have the gall to tell us we're being the entitled ones. When you can't even get past the fucking tutorials. That is the most laughable bullshit I have heard in quite some time. And then I love this stupid assholes who think that, oh, it's because we gamers have this sense of idealism that we don't have anything else going on in our lives so we tend to be overly proud of our gaming achievements. Guess who fucking instilled that idea upon us gamers? The developers. Guess why? 
Have you played games like Contra? Have you played games where they tell you when you beat it the easiest fucking mode, they tell you play it at the fucking harder mode? Then you play it on normal mode and then they tell you, hey, good job. Play it on the hardest mode and see the actual ending. Because guess what? So many games like that was like that in the fucking 80s and 90s. Play, pop in a game, play it on the hardest difficulty to see what it's like in the end. Because that's how they designed the games back then. Wanna know what the game's like at the end? Get good at the game. The developers themselves taught us this. And now they have the nerve to say, we're gonna change our tune. Because for some strange reason, you wimp ass journalists can't handle playing a game that only requires a few buttons to master. So no, at least when it comes to the journalists, fuck you, get good at the damn games. Because there are assholes out there who will play the damn games for free and do a hell of a better job reviewing it than you ever will. You entitled pricks. You die at fucking Cuphead at the goddamn tutorial, and meanwhile Pangea Panga gets to play Super Mario World and beat the fucking thing blindfolded! Get better at your job, because if you're being paid forty dollars to $100,000 a year, you should have a skill that reflects and earns you that pay. Telling us that we fucking need to get, that, that we have to be, that we have to check our fucking privilege. How fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Your system feel better? God damn, that must be cathartic. All fucking week that shit was building up, man. That was overdue. Damn. Well, fuck. <laughs> yeah, he ain't wrong. <laughs> I agree with Orlando, because that's just fucking stupid. It's like, yeah. like, literally the whole free, like, Streamers, us, we do better jobs of reviewing games. Yeah, it takes us longer, but you get fucking review copies. Your job is to put out the fucking article for us to read to buy the fucking game. And you're not doing us any, like a service by being shit at the fucking game that we want to play. Like, <laughs> like you can be bad, but get better. <laughs> like, fuck. <laughs> I'm going to reach out to my buddy Tony TGD and see if he'll jump onto one of our casts because... Dude actually has games journalism chops and knows his shit. And I would actually like to have him on to talk about stuff like this just because his perspective on it would be very refreshing in contrast to other things. But but, we, but do you see, we like, took how long to do our review of Bravery Default, even after the game came out, to make sure that we had gotten through it? Well, I apparently didn't finish the fucking game. Neither did you. <laughs> At least one of us did. That's all that mattered. Yeah. Look, 
I understand at least that part. Some things are going to have time crunches, and you want to get your articles out as quickly as possible. With that being said, that is the reason why you need to improve at your motherfucking skills. If you can't get the shit done right, then why are you getting paid the amount that you are? No, it's a it's a simple fucking ideology. We don't know. We didn't have that restriction. Okay, we weren't obligated to get the shit released. You, we had all the time in the world. We don't get paid for this. But the green journalists do. Yep. And like any, and like any other tradable skill. You need to have that skill at a certain threshold for you to get paid at that certain rate. That means you can't be garbage at a game, even if it's new, because you should be able to learn the game quickly enough to at least have some moniker of skill to give an effective review. Agreed. Because that easy mode, whatever it may be in any game, that is something for the that's something for the general audience that is for them not for the journalist they want to get play that easy mode on their free time let them if they're doing it for the job no because we don't get an easy mode on our jobs we have to have some sort of skill in order for us to be paid what we get paid otherwise we get docked for our pay because we get docked for our incompetence. It should be no different with the games journalists. Yep. Now, the interesting thing about the general idea of having games with easier difficulty, there's one more thing that I do want to add, and that's the idea that certain games thrive on the higher difficulty. There are certain communities that do feel that it is part of that uh, it's part of that uh, passage of right to have a game that has that higher threshold of difficulty. Look at bullet hell genre games, for example. Those games don't become bullet hell games just because there are maybe like two or three bullets on the screen. Those games are nightmares because the games are built that way and they need to be built that way. Ikaruga, popular game on the GameCube, and it's a bullet hell shooter. You think it's going to be the you think it's going to have the reputation it has because it because it'll have an easy mode that'll make you invincible or that it or that you can have maybe like only one or two bullets fly across the screen at a time. No, it's going to be rampant fire, crazy shit, and you better learn how the game works or it's going to kick your ass. And that is a and that is something a specific niche of the community is going to want to remain at the very least pure. And that's on them. And that's the right of the developer to be able to create a game that does not meet the that does not meet the requirements of everyone. 
because as always mentioned, gaming is for everyone, but not every game is for everyone. Anyone can play a game, but not every game is for everyone. The rating systems aren't just because it contains something that might offend someone. It's because there are certain game types that will not fit the needs of every gamer. Right. And but that it's, is okay. Uh, it is, but here's the thing. There's certain games that I like. This, what, this is what blows my mind. That these game journalists, if I went to you and I told you, man, I really like games like, um, like Mario Brothers. Like, what kind of games can you recommend? Right? And if you can't tell me the type of game that Mario is or something similar to it or other other style games that I might enjoy because I like the Mario franchises, you're not a journalist. You're not doing your fucking job. And that's really what it comes down to, because I can't tell you how many people that I've gotten to buy a switch and I'm. I listen to what the type of games that they like from the PlayStation, from the Xbox, whatever it is. And I go, hey, you've played that game. Hey, try this game. You can get this on the Switch, right? Or try this or try this. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's you have to be able to know the different styles of games. And even if you're not good at them, still be able to functionally get through them. Because just because I don't like just because I don't like um, third-person view over-the-shoulder games doesn't mean that I'm not going to play games like Gears of War or not be able to recommend it to somebody just because I have a bias to that viewpoint. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's still ways of playing the fucking games, getting the information you need, and writing a good article without being a fucking shithole. <laughs> I agree. Can I say this, though? Um, I know this is going to be weird to you guys, but I'm, I w- I'd like to give a shout-out to Jeff Keighley, the host of the Video Game Rewards, because I think he doesn't... I don't, I don't think he gets enough credit. That dude busts his ass to know what the fuck he's talking about. And while many people make fun of the dude, he at least does his fucking job. So I'm going to give him props, because I that's all... I wish to drink to the, to the Dorito Pope. Do what you will. Dude does his job, and he does a better job than any motherfucking games journalist from the shit companies that we know. The funny part is, is the dude has his roots as an actual gamer in G4 and in Tech TV. So the dude knows what the fuck he's doing. The problem is, is that the over-corporatization of his his medium has gotten to the point where no matter how good you are at a job, people are going to call you a sellout regardless. That's what I'm saying. G4, Kotaku. He's not a seller. It just means the dude has some fucking chops. Even Angry Joe found that out when he got to confront him on the red carpet. The dude fucking blew his ass away. Exactly right. That's why, in my opinion, that's why he garners my respect. But that's why. But even stuff like G4, Kotaku, all like Nerdist, all those websites, they're. They're nowhere near as like I shit on Kotaku all the time. Have we read some Kotaku articles on this podcast? Yes, because they have probably some of the clearest written bullshit out there. But Kotaku's journalism is fucking crap most of the time. Like, do you find a couple of articles? Do you get like the points of information? 
most of the time, no, not even most of the time. Some of the time, yes, you just have to fucking look through it half the time. And that's the that's the worst part is that people are sticking to like one like even Game Informer, the Game Informer magazine that fucking you I can get online on my phone. I don't even look at the fucking like scores anymore. Like that used to be a thing like back in the day when you were playing like you'd go to Funko Land or even GameStop when finally GameStop took over or EB Games, they had like a list of games with the scores, right? Like, you know, 9 out of 10, 8 out of 10, 7 out of 10. I don't even bother looking at that shit anymore because half the, like, 90% of the time the fucking shit sucks. Or it's not my style game. And it's just, it, it, there needs to be better, like, I don't know. You need to put out better fucking reviews. Like, I don't believe anything anybody puts out because I've seriously enjoyed a game that's gotten, like, a 4 out of 10. Where, but it got a 4 out of 10 because, you didn't like one thing about the game like that. That was my biggest thing with uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 2. It got shit on when it first came out. Now it's one of the more, more popular games for the switch. Like how you like because of their battle system. But you you went and gave it like a six out of ten, seven out of ten, because you didn't like the fucking battle system when the story completely blows it out of the water and pushes it more towards like an eight, nine out of ten. Like it just I mean, it. Yeah. I mean, I will say that the battle system for the Xenoblade series is a bit off. I mean, I couldn't get myself to finish or play much of Xenoblade Chronicles X. And that's because of the battle system, unfortunately. X, I, I didn't. I'm going to give it a try since I got the damn game. Which I mean, two we could try X. it together at the very least. It's a, it's a, it's a multiplayer MMO sort of it, uh, it you can you can play it solo though. You can play it solo. I know. I tried. I tried. Okay, and it, right. it didn't work out well for me. I got bored of it. That was my problem. It's a big world. Okay, so but X X is a different story. I'm talking about Xenoblade Chronicles Two, like the one that released on the Switch. That, I'm trying to tell you, it was my experience with Xenoblade Chronicles X that kept me or getting into two exactly. He had, he had sometimes a one bad experience can taint an entire IP, and I mean, that, look at look at the Final Fantasy series. God help you if you jumped in at eleven in that fucking hellscape of, of games out of that. Or thirteen. Or yeah. not, sorry, thirteen. <laughs> or shit. If you decide, like, fucking I don't boss know, tunnel. Eleven is pretty fucking shitty too. There you go. But I knew my brain was telling me something on this one. Or shit, imagine you lived in Europe during the fucking 90s because Mystic Quest was the only game released at the time. They knew nothing else of Final Fantasy. Yeah. Baby's first Final Fantasy. The funny part is, is that was it was actually a... Uh, what's the what's the Japanese name for a mana series? Oh, yeah. I'm going to fucking forget it. It, the Mystic Quest wasn't Mystic Quest supposed to be a mana game originally. Yes, yeah. they ported it. Mystic Quest, uh, Final Fantasy was tacked on to try and sell it to a market. Uh, goddamn, why am I forgetting? I'm blanking on the goddamn Japanese name for the fucking mana series. It would drive me insane until I remember. Psychedin Setsu. Oh, yeah, it's this. It's a Psychedin Setsu game. Yeah, and it, it was the first one technically, I believe, before even Secret of Mana came out. So yeah, it's it was a weird experience. So I have a counter because I kind of want to I wanted to let you kind of blow blow out your steam when it came to your rant. And this is a question for you too, Jason. 
in your opinion, what is the bare minimum that you believe that you need to create a adequate review of a game? An understanding of the system. You and need anything else? You need to have a full understanding of the system, not skipping the you know the random like tutorial about like you know powerpoints or something like that like with bravery default the the menu you have to be able to navigate the menu and understand the system and how it functions and that to me it has to be the biggest selling point because if you don't understand at least the bare minimum of that you will never progress in the game and then your entire review means nothing to me. Okay. How about you, Orlando? I think there's two major elements that have to be, at the very least, uh, put into. I, I will agree with him that the gameplay needs to be uh, understood. It needs, it needs to be, at the, very, at the very least, understood, if not flat out uh, uh, analyzed. Uh and then there's the story itself, if there is one. Because while you don't have to have the entirety of the story uh, written out in the review, you need to have at the very least a synopsis to be able to at least entice the player on what the story on what on what they're getting themselves into. And well, if I think the third optional would be your actual impressions of the game. Okay. Yeah. So the, the story doesn't matter as much to Okay. Here's what it, if you go into a game review and you come out telling me that the graphics blew you away and that the story was amazing, but you can't tell me about the battle system. I think you're lying. Or, or the game system, or the menu options, or the customization stuff, I think you're fucking lying. Because there's no way you get the understanding of a story without the developer fucking telling you at that point, and then you didn't do your job. That's a, fa- that's a fair assessment. Okay, here's my opinion, now that I've gotten your guys' thoughts on things. Your base meat and potatoes review, and this is just you know, off the street YouTuber, you know, going into the game, etc. If it has a storyline, there needs to be a relatively effective synopsis of the beginning parts of the storyline to entice the player to actually get into the game. Mm-hmm. You need to have an understanding of the mechanics, gameplay, menus, uh, options, whatever little bells and whistles there are attached to it. Um... You probably should know who the developer is, if there are any key individuals who might have played a part in its creation that might have a noteworthy uh, history. Sometimes, you know, Yuji Naka stepped in and made something. You want to make sure people know it was Yuji Naka who put his stamp on it. And you need to ensure that the basic building blocks of the game are made known to the player, to, to the, the viewer on the front side what the genre is, uh, run playtime, because that's one of the major things that goes back to what you were saying. Somebody should, if it's got, a, if it's an RPG, they should have at least played through the main story at the very least. 
So you have a basic understanding of what the runtime is of the game so you can get into it and know what you're getting into for just the main story point. Anything side quest stuff, if you get around to doing that, cool. But I personally don't think it's necessary. Uh, my friend Tony would disagree. He has a very, he wants it as meticulous as possible, but that's his company. He does whatever the fuck he wants. But as a basic YouTube review of something. Now, when it comes down to actual, uh, the actual review and what you're aware of, I don't think you specifically need to go through the entirety of the game with a fine tooth comb. No. Give me, and give it me. What kind of game it is. No, th- this is. This is kind of what I was saying. Give me the, a six-hour gameplay review. Don't give me a forty-five-minute gameplay review. Right. You want to know, you know, you you, you don't want to toe. You don't want your somebody who's just dipped their toe in the pool. You want someone who took a dive in, and it, while they didn't go all the way to the bottom, you want to know that they, at the very least, made it halfway through before they decided to come up for air. Of course, this, this you have to understand. Games, there are games that are short, easy to play, that won't last you very long. There are games that might take you a couple days to play. And then there are games that are basically lifelong events. Because as games, as as the tech keeps getting better, we're getting longer and longer games. Because this philosophy Look. of hours equals game time equals quality of game keeps getting burnt into the retinas and the brains of developers everywhere. Look, so, I don't expect I don't expect the review for Splatoon to be the same review for God of War. Of course. And it shouldn't be. No, but it should still hit, hit the same uh check the same box. Right. Gameplay should be covered, uh general story overview uh what the game genre is, what the moving parts are, the, the it, that's all you need. And then the final thing, obviously, and I know it's going to sound like a duh, but your opinion of the game. How did you enjoy it? If you cannot tell me how you physically interacted with the medium that you're trying to review to me, I'm not going to get into invest, invested in the game you're trying to sell. If but- you're giving me a generic this is what the game does. This is what it, what it has in store for you. And you leave it at that without giving me a, some point of empathy to be able to attach to the game through you. Because when you're doing these reviews, when you're watching these reviews, you're experiencing the game in a sample via the person who's telling you about the game. Most you of- need to have that interaction. No, it's most importantly, it tells you whether or not you can actually believe what the person is saying. How could you enjoy or not enjoy the game you're reviewing and then expect me to follow what you have to say? Did you enjoy the game? I sure did. It don't sound like you had fun. Why rating systems were installed in a lot of places usually are pretty thorough when it comes to that kind of stuff. I have a couple of uh, YouTubers that I follow that are very... Uh, meticulous when it comes to how they uh, they create they themselves great games, but they're not and, they're not quote unquote journalists. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, right. they're an entertainer, and that's that's the problem is that you're getting there are people out there doing their jobs better than actual journalists. 
That's the problem. Yes. Now, now, now we've, that you answer that question, as a games journalist, taking the basics that we've already discussed, what do they need to do to reach that apex point that you would feel is worth their salt? Fucking journalism. A- do your job. <laughs> do the research. Yes. Do like, literally do the research. Do the research. And like I said, if you're playing a game like God of War, give me your give the game six hours of gameplay by the six hour, not even the six hour mark. Like you can do like a five or four hour mark of gameplay. I would say six because it gets you a little bit deeper into the story. At least give me a good six hours of gameplay, personal gameplay. Like you sit down, you order your damn food, you play the game for six hours. You give me your fucking review then. Right. Because by that time, you know, the system, you know, the upgrades, you know, you you have a general idea of how the, you know, all of the menus work. That's it. If you're reviewing a game like Splatoon, give me an hour, hour and a half. What basically he's saying is their reviews better not all equate to the same quality review that you would find on something like Splatoon. Because not all games are made equal. That's right. fine. I get and that. The Last of Us uh, reviews became political. Like, don't give me a fucking political review. Play the fucking Last of Us and tell me then. Don't make so your the, review a political the review. Problem, the problem with The Last of Us and The Last of Us 2 is the politics are interwoven into the gameplay. That's yeah. fine. But intentionally. But you can't but you can't just write me a political article. You're not a political article. You're a games journalist, right? Give me the game review. Don't give me the fucking politics review. Absolutely. I will agree to you 100% on that. Now, you told me about, you you made this example of playing God of War for four or five hours and then do the review. I would strongly disagree. Only if, if we have these game journalists that can't even play a game without it being on easy mode, the likelihood of them playing a game like God of War, they would probably still be at the first stage. God of War has an easy mode. If you say so. God of War, the God of War has a story mode. Bravery default had a story mode. Fucking, um, uh, the fucking game that I keep trying, I can't pronounce ghost of just Ghost of Shishima, I still can't fucking say the goddamn game, that has an easy mode. A lot of these big games that want to tell you their story have a way to play the game that you don't have to be as intensive in the combat systems and can play it mostly for the story. But even still, those systems that they have in the game, just because they're easier, are not a different system. You can still tell me about the meat and potatoes of the system playing it on those story modes. Okay, so when so so the difference between your average run of the mill YouTuber reviewer and it, it, this and this is what I'm gleaning from what y'all are saying and an actual like Kotaku rock paper shotgun giant bomb style journalist you want the journalist to go balls deep on the game. You want a specific level of meticulous detail and you want as much 
research into what the game offers as humanly possible within the scope, within the skill and scope gaming wise of the journalist. Am I right? Correct. Um, not entirely so. Okay. At least the, the, the excess, the, the research doesn't have to be excess, but the one thing that I want to see from the, the journalist is passion. To, Fair which enough. is likely not going to happen, but you know, these are games. Your monikers of entertainment that we want to be entertained by. But that's and what I'm saying. But as a journalist, the game, then what the fuck is the point? But that's the point. As a journalist, you have a right, not, not a right. You have an obligation to do a somewhat of a deep dive, get the research, get your facts straight and give us something. If you're going to write just a fucking plain opinion piece, then write a fucking plain opinion piece, but don't try to sell it off to me as a review of the game. Because I can give you, I can, I can pull a paint off my shelf right now, a GW paint or a Vallejo paint, right? I can take two different paints close to the same color, two different companies. And I can be like, I like this one because I use it all the time. And that could be my review. But if I was a journalist, I'd be like, this company is from Spain and they use a liquid uh, acrylic instead of a powdered acrylic like the Citadel paints and then go into the difference between them. That is journalism. Me telling you I like this color over this color because I just do is not journalism. Okay, fair enough. That is fair. I'm sorry my uncultured ass swine did not consider I'm not mad at you. I'm just I'm frustrated with just journalism in general lately. Cuz I feel like everything's in a fucking opinion piece. And oh, yeah, I wasn't fru- I wasn't frustrated because of the last 30 fucking minutes of my ranting. Sure. No, I just, no. I'm just saying. But like there's a there's a there's an obligation when you call yourself a journalist as opposed to somebody on YouTube or even us doing a full blown review. Right. We're doing it for entertainment purposes. We're doing it to give you these are our thoughts. This is what we do. Like this is what we like. This is what we don't like. And giving you that deep down gritty. We played everything review. After the game has already been released. These people are doing these people are getting review copies and not even giving you a decent review. I guess I'll have to wait for my Ninja Garden 2 review. then. Yes, we (laughs) want to hear you scream for 30 minutes straight without breathing. (laughs) (laughs) But even still, like when when Bravery Default, when I held it off for for like months because I wanted to finish the game to give that good review, I didn't have to. We could have done it a month ago and still gotten close to that same review without knowing the ending. Because we had we have completely we completely deep dived into that battle menu system and parts of the map to understand how the rest of the game was going to work. There wasn't there wasn't anything that happened halfway through the game that wasn't the same at the end of the game. Right. The problem is. In, in, in my thought process is you, you said it yourself. We have done this within the scope of time of whenever the fuck we got around to it. Right. One of the major things as a journalist that, that, and it, and it, and it's a frustration point for me within the, within the realm of journalism as a whole is there are deadlines in place and mm-hmm. there's needs to be a specific 
they, they have to get their thoughts out in a specific window before they, outside of the embargo that's put in put in place on journalists so that they don't put out their review within a certain point. But what that creates is a level of desperation on their parts. How? And, and one of the major frustration points for me, specifically with regards to Bravely Default 2, is they didn't give it the fucking time of day in, from what I saw to be able to say it. They just, they just basically went, oh, it's, uh, it's too grindy. I'm like, okay. But it's people that exactly. didn't that have never played a grindy game telling you it's too grindy. Did it did it seem grindy right. to you at all? No. It saw it looked to it felt to me like a normal RPG. Right. And that's really where the dissonance is starting to happen. You have these fucking individuals who may or may not have actually played RPGs, or if they did, they played some niche RPG that doesn't have anywhere near the grinding that they that that they've ever played. Every Bravely Default game I've played has a level of grind to it. Every RPG I've played has a level of grind to it. It's inherent in the RPG experience, no matter what it is. And it, and, and, and when people go and they make these asinine statements about grind, it to me it comes off as either a level of detachment from what the genre they're playing is or they don't know what the fuck they're doing and in most cases i'm more i'm 50 50 on both at this point because it's really fucking difficult for me to believe that you're going to tell me first of all your audience is a bunch of rpg players Mm -hmm. in most cases (laughs) i know breaking default 2 on its face and in a lot of the the uh the interviews they did with the developers was supposed to be basically kind of a training wheels esque RP, uh, JRPG scenario. Like, it, you know, even if you've never gotten to the bravely default series, you know, it's going to have stuff. It's going to have stuff that's going to get you entertained and hooked. You know, we listened to a lot of the players when we made the demo, when people reached out to us, like they did the whole kit and caboodle and you dispel it by saying it has too much fucking grind. Are you fucking high? Seriously. They, they went and they listened to the people who give a fuck about their game. Not you. You don't give a fuck about these games. You review them and you discard them like the fucking paper towels that you wipe up your goddamn coffee stains with. You don't know. And maybe it, and you know what? I'm making a general statement and I will take the, take the L and say maybe these individuals were RPG players and they thought it was too much grind. Compared to what? Skyrim? <laughs> I, no, really. I want to know what the what what their what their bellwether is. Because for me, once I got used to the game and got used to how the leveling system works, and I got all the menus down pat, and I figured out how the job system worked, which didn't take me that long, took me a couple minutes after I got my first set of jobs beyond the Black Mage uh, job. I was up and running and. I had already figured out the easiest ways to grind up levels. Is it grindy? It's absolutely grindy, and it tends to set grind in specific chapters in specific regions. But you know what? Everything's color-coded so that you know how to walk into the situations prepared. 
And if you walk into something you weren't prepared for, you can still run away from it without losing too much progress. These are things that are put in place so that individuals who may or may not be jumping into role-playing games like this can get into the situation and still feel comfortable enough to keep going because RPGs are very attention intensive. And if you're not willing to invest your attention in the game, you'll never get anything out of it. So there needs to be a, a bit of give and take with regards to when it comes to the actual gameplay for newer players. And I completely understand that. But when you're a games journalist, you gotta know how the fuck this all plays out. You just have to. There's no way in hell you don't know. That's that's kind of what I'm saying. But like, like I said, even I could give a decent review on a on a game that I normally would not enjoy. But that's because I would put the fucking work in to give that fucking review. And that's all I'm asking for is put the fucking work in. Yeah, yeah, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I'm too. I, I don't fucking care if your job is to be a games journalist, then be a fucking games journalist. <laughs> Actually, that's what I was about to say. Um, be busy with fucking what? What are the jobs do you have? You get paid like forty to a hundred k a year. What are you getting busy for? I honestly, I agree with Orlando. I want to know what the workload is for these people. Because if it's something where they have a bunch of plates spinning and they have to do like, you know, five or six reviews in the, in the course of, you know, a few a few weeks or a, or a month or two, and they, they have hard deadlines that are, you know, crippling in that regard, then I have a little bit more empathy for them. Only a little bit more. You, you, you got to be able to keep up, keep up the pace in that in that um, in that particular job field. And if they're not willing to make that kind of effort, well, that's on them. But in general, like that, and that's another thing that I would love to talk to Tony about because, like, I'd love his he'd have an inside perspective on that kind of shit, and I would love to hear him hear hear what he has to say if he wants to debunk what we're saying or dispute it. That would be even better because then we'd have a more direct uh, lifeline into that particular realm, and that honestly, to me, would be able to generate the understanding necessary for me to be able to say, okay, maybe it's a lot harder than it is, or okay, maybe it's it just maybe these people are just as fucking overprivileged and and uh, underworked as I thought they were. That's to me where I want to I want that in understanding so that I can make a more informed decision. And honestly, that goes without saying for anything that we talk about. And maybe even if we, like we said, well, this is purely for entertainment and maybe like a third or an eighth for inf information, at least on our point, because we do the, we do a little bit of research here and there, but we're not going balls deep when it comes to a lot of different things, because one, you tend to get a lot of the politics sunk in with a great yeah. deal of the things that we talk about. And we spend more time trying to divorce those aspects where possible, obviously, the TSR thing was its own separate headache and a couple other things in the past. Those were isolated incidents in and of themselves because they were self-contained headaches. <laughs> but like we've said it before, just why, why the fuck do we, why, why the fuck do we have all this, this nonsense when it comes to hobbies? Why is there so many goddamn strings attached to hobbies, escapism, 
it, it, it just kills me. Yep. It just That's all I got. Yeah, it's all I got too. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing else. <laughs> I'm cashed out on this. I think that was a strong <laughs> note to end on, gentlemen. Yes. Sounds good to me. <sighs> all right. Well, thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> made it this far you made it this far now go like us on our social medias um yeah go find us on facebook apparently people are watching us on youtube so um i did change the name of the youtube so now there's no more confusion it's now angry wargamer podcast on youtube so um you should have no problem finding us now and don't have to worry about catching something that you're not you know you normally wouldn't listen to i.e my painting shenanigan shit that i tried at some point but yeah angry wargamer podcast on youtube uh catch us on facebook at angry wargamer podcast and then obviously twitter's angry wargamer punk toast and ragnarok night and yeah remember stay sexy and go fuck yourselves